0: It was another epic installment of El Trafico Sunday night here in Los Angeles. Five tries and LAFC still hasn't figured out how to beat the Galaxy. Zlatan Ibrahimovic's appetite for destruction continued as he scored two goals because Zlatan has burrowed so deep into the head of Bob Bradley's LAFC that the team seems to forget actually how to play soccer the moment Zlatan steps on the field. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome for the State of the Union podcast. We look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be looking back at the paradise city that was El Trafico. Our Mossy Makes the Case segment. Mossy's going to talk about a potential River Boca Copa Libertadores meeting in the offing. Our Ask Alexi segment, we'll be talking uh, about the continuing Neymar saga. In our back three, we'll be talking about Chucky, Chucky Lozano, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox Soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you on this Monday morning, Mossy? I am good. How do you like the new studio? It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Really did a lot with the place. It's coming, buddy. It's coming. All right. You, know, you notice how I, I, I put it on a, a previous podcast, so now they have to do it. And Alex tells us that there are contractors coming in the coming days here. Uh, so something's going to happen. I'm, I can't promise you what it's going to look like, but I hope it's a, a positive uh, a, a thing here. How was your weekend? Not bad,
1: not bad. Not uh, bad? Worked uh, Bundesliga and then watched uh, some MLS. Yeah, we're going to be talking uh, all, about, talk
0: about. all about that uh, that MLS stuff. I was all over the place. We had that triple header with uh, that finished off with El Trafico. Uh, Bundesliga, back in the Bundesliga saddle. It was wonderful to be back and be with my friends Kate Abdo and Ian Joy, I love, uh, I love them, and uh, they, they, they keep teaching me new words, new German words, so had a fun weekend. Anything else? Uh, did you go any any hiking or any uh, any new movies or anything to talk about?
1: No, but Alexi, I don't want you to get too excited over this, but we are just days away from the start of the
0: 140th season of Michigan football. This would be the American football uh, in the collegiate form, right? Is that what you're talking correct, about here? Correct, correct. Uh, the Wolverines of Michigan. Uh, A place I know and love, Michigan, being the state that I grew up in. Uh, They play over there in the uh, what do you call that big thing? The bucket, not the bucket, no, the uh, um, the big house. Short, yeah, the big house. There you go, the big house over there in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And so they start up their uh, their season this weekend. Yes, are they? Are they? are they primed to do anything this year? Are you are you optimistic? Are you cautiously optimistic about your Wolverines?
1: Well, there is some optimism because Urban Meyer, the legendary Ohio State coach who owned Michigan, has retired and become a Fox Sports analyst. He will be working with Rob Stone on Saturdays. And as a matter of fact, I saw both Rob Stone and Urban Meyer a couple of days ago uh, during Founders Day at Fox. Uh, they were walking around. They had just taped their preview show. And I was very happy to see Urban Meyer there and not on the sidelines for Ohio State. They've since appointed one of his assistants, Ryan Day and there's some thought that Harbaugh might actually figure out a way to beat this guy.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, look, I, I'm sure that that being in that hot seat of uh, of being the coach of Ohio State or Michigan with that rivalry is incredibly pressure filled and 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 difficult. But it's nothing compared to working with Rob Stone. So, uh, Godspeed, Urban Meyer. Uh, okay, ready to light this candle. Yep. All right. As you know, each and every week we kick the pot off with Alexi Lalas's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. You had me at the first court of Paradise City. It was another epic installment of El Trafico Sunday night here in Los Angeles with the stars and the drama and the entertainment. But when the exhaust finally settled, it was a 3-3 score line, and it was still the OG LA Galaxy who rule Los Angeles over the nouveau riche of LAFC. Five tries and LAFC still hasn't figured out how to beat the Galaxy. Zlatan Ibrahimovic's appetite for destruction continued as he scored two goals because Zlatan has burrowed so deep into the head of Bob Bradley's LAFC that the team seems to forget actually how to play soccer the moment Zlatan steps on the field. Yet, this is the best rivalry in Major League Soccer. Yes, LAFC is going to win the Supporters' Shield running away. They are the best team in MLS. But you know who talks about the Supporters' Shield? Teams that win the Supporters' Shield and then bomb out of the MLS playoffs. The truly great MLS teams, and it's only happened seven times in 23 seasons, they win Supporters' Shield and then reload and also win MLS Cup. LAFC could be the best MLS team in history, but they have to win MLS Cup to even be in the conversation. And even if they do it, looks like they're going to have to wait another year for bragging rights to the City of Angels. Unless... On their way to MLS Cup, the soccer gods smile upon us and LAFC meet the Galaxy in the playoffs and find a way to break the spells Latan has put them under. Now that's a place I want to go. That's Paradise City. All right, Masi, so that's my State of the Union for this week. I was at the game, obviously, working it, so I was on site. You were not. You watched it on television. First, I want to get your thoughts and your reaction. You've watched thousands and thousands of games in your life. What was your reaction seeing this in terms of both what was happening on the field and just the entire experience from a television perspective?
1: Listen, we, we live in Los Angeles, so maybe we're biased, but this fixture, this rivalry is the best thing that's happened to MLS. There's an electricity to these games that comes across, even on television, a heavyweight fight kind of feel. I don't care how much of a Euro snob you are, there's no way you couldn't have been entertained by that. Anybody that listens to this podcast knows I'm generally more interested in the European stuff, but I was excited for this game. I watched it. I was on the edge of my seat. Uh, that was absolutely wonderful.
0: So from the moment that we got there, and like I said, I was there for the entire day because we had the triple header, but obviously it was leading up to this, this big game. And it lived up to billing uh, on and off the field. We were, we were doing our, our hits down there on the field, and you would look one way, and there's Natalie Portman. Over here is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. People that you recognize all over the place. And it, it was an event. It was a, a real event. And I will say this, in a, in a day and age when we were talking so much about Supporters, fans, guests, customers—whatever word you want to apply to the people that go to these stadiums—and uh, especially when it comes to the the organized groups uh, that that uh, that work on the TFO. the coordination and ultimately the spectacle that they had in this game, this whole, and I I admit to being biased because I love Guns N' Roses, but this whole Guns N' Roses themed T-fill that happened before the game, I got chills. I got emotional about it. And I know a lot of it comes from the music aspect of it. And if you didn't see it, it was just this incredible motif of Slash and Axel and this whole Guns N' Roses Los Angeles uh, theme. So kudos to both the supporters clubs and the actual team of LAFC for putting on a dramatic display beforehand that just was it hit the perfect note in terms of making this a big event. So that was that was before the game. And 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 not for nothing, but that stadium down there, Bank of California Stadium, is incredible. They've done a wonderful job. By the way, this is coming from uh, with my Galaxy past, you know how difficult it is for me to say this, but they have they have done nothing wrong in terms of what they have done on and off the field with regards to LAFC. And it's great. It's made the Galaxy better. It's made our city better. It's made the sport better, both in our city and, and I think around the country. I think that was on display from start to finish. Then the whistle blew and all hell broke loose. I did not see this coming in terms of the goals immediately. And maybe that's just on me. The fact that Zlatan scored shouldn't be a surprise to anybody because that's what he does when he is playing against this team. And it was phenomenal. End to end. First 15 minutes, we had, what, two, three goals and Zlatan participating in it. Uh, So from a soccer perspective, an entertainment perspective, it was everything that you want and more.
1: Yeah, I'm enamored by LAFC. I love the way they play that possession football. I do think they got caught up in the emotion and let that game become too chaotic in the first half, too much of a track meet. And they can lose that sort of game to the Galaxy because of how good Zlatan is. And in the second half, they are able to settle things down, take control. And the second half was played in the Galaxy's half of the field. So I think that's the ticket for LAFC moving forward if these teams play. They have to not get caught up in the emotion so much and be able to play their game. Let me say one thing, though. That Uruguayan kid that came on for Vela, Brian Rodriguez, is phenomenal. So that is another weapon they have. And if Bob Bradley can figure out a way to get him on the field with Vela and Rossi, they're going to be... Scary, And on the other side, Christian Pavon, what a great signing he's been for the Galaxy. Yeah. I mean, there was a play late in that game, like the 86 87th minute, where he took off on a run against the entire LAFC yep, defense yep. and had no support at that point because no. Zlatan had stopped running. <laughs> Zlatan had checked out. And he skipped around one, nutmegged another, and then tried this left-footed chip that did not miss by much. That would have been the most incredible goal I've ever seen. It was an amazing play by him.
0: Well, Zlatan gives us plenty to talk about. Uh, two goals in the first half. He was, he was incredible the first half. And he... He was nowhere in the second half. And I guess to his credit, I don't know if it's to his credit, but he admitted after the game that he was evidently tired. Okay, you're not supposed to get tired. You're a lion, you're a Ferrari, and uh, <laughs> you're, you're not supposed to get tired. But he was, he was tired, and he was non-existent in that second half. And look, if you are the man and you are carrying the team and you go missing, that is a big, big problem. The LA Galaxy were lucky to get out with the point. But ultimately... They got out with a point, and LAFC cannot get over this hurdle. And look, they 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 have bigger fish to fry, and they they are well on their way to doing historic things when it comes to the regular season. And I talked in the State of the Union how they still need to win MLS Cup for me to have them in my conversation of the best ever. That's just one of the criteria that I believe should be there. If you're the best team in MLS history, you should have find a way to not only win Supporters uh, Shield but also win uh, MLS Cup. They're going to win Supporters Shield, but they cannot. Get over the Los Angeles Galaxy, and particular, they can't figure out a way to defend Zlatan. Whether it's Zimmerman or anybody else out there, uh, they just they become they become liquid players. They can't they can't function. He just gets in their head, and they can't function in the way that they have done for ninety nine point nine percent of the season.
1: Would you agree, though? Let's presume these teams don't meet in the playoffs, mm-hmm. but LAFC steamroll everybody. They win MLS Cup, smashing all these records along the way. At that point, the Galaxy thing becomes a slight annoyance and something they want to get right next year, but ultimately not that big a deal. I think the Galaxy, frankly, would look a little small at that point if they tried to hang their hat on that too much. You know, okay, you won MLS Cup. You had the greatest season in MLS history, but we're still the kings of LA because of the regular season head-to-head. That would be a very specious argument in my view.
0: <laughs> you, you think... Well, I think you're giving the Galaxy fans much too much credit <laughs> because I think if that happens, every single time it's brought up, the Galaxy fans are going to go, whatever, we've won plenty of MLS Cups. But you know what? You might have won MLS Cup, but you you didn't win the city. And that's where this whole – and this is this is a true rivalry, and I know it's young, and I know a lot of people – You know, get up on their high horse and they say, how can it possibly be a rivalry if, number one, it's only a few years old or number two, the uh, LAFC has yet to actually beat uh, the Galaxy? It is in every sense of the word. And there are people that don't care about soccer that cared about that game, uh, uh, that game the other day. It, 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 It will be interesting if they do ultimately win. MLS Cup because what the Galaxy people are going to say yeah but there's going to be a yeah but each and every time and then that's why I'm praying that they meet well first off the Galaxy have to make the playoffs and that's not and Zlatan to his credit after the game said we need three points so you can talk all you want about rivalry and me scoring and blah 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 blah, but we need to beat people and get three points because they got to get in the playoffs first LEFC is not worried about uh, worried about the playoffs so much so that there was a moment in the game And for those that didn't watch, Carlos Vela, who had been really quiet throughout the game. He did not have a great game, even though he scored a goal. uh, But he wasn't involved in the consistent way that we have seen him. He tweaked his hamstring, came to the sideline, got some treatment, went back in the game. And then in this game that was 3-3 at home against the biggest rival, Bob Bradley made the call, obviously with the direction of his medical staff, to take... Carlos Vela, his captain, the talisman, if you will, off of the field. Now, Carlos Vela is so different than Zlatan Ibrahimović in terms of a player and in terms of a person. We saw some emotion and some passion that we have not seen from Carlos Vela. He was visibly pissed off about the fact that he was being taken out of the game. When you saw that, because just just to paint a picture, if you didn't see it, he took off his armband, he threw his armband, he started screaming down the line at Bob Bradley, Everyone was lip-reading and doing all that kind of stuff. And it became very, very obvious that this wasn't a player that was just angry and mad at the fact that he wasn't going to be able to continue and and that the injury was keeping him. This was a player that was angry and mad because, in his mind, it never seemed to dawn on him that this was even a possibility. Even though he came for treatment, I don't think, in in reading this situation— it didn't seem to me that he thought that there was a problem to the extent that he needed to come out of the game. And he, he, was, he was pissed. Bob Bradley, to his credit, saw this happening in real time, in front of everybody, and Bob Bradley's been there, done that. So he knew how he was going to react. He waited for him to come down the line. He didn't react in any visual way. He put his arm around him. I'm sure he explained to him and understood that he's going to explain it, but he's not going to like it or anything like that. Do you think that this was the right call from Bob Bradley in that moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the doctor told him, but if there's any question about an injury, there you have to take him out uh, because, as we've talked about, LAFC have bigger fish to fry. And if I'm Bob Bradley, I'm not upset at all by that Vela reaction. I love that fire. I love that he wanted to stay in the game. I love that he wanted to outduel Zlatan for the last 30 minutes of that game. So no issue whatsoever. And it seems like they're fine. So I think we
0: I think we make so much more about the optics and the antics of players, and we read so much. And we, that's that's understandable because we're on the outside. We don't see what's happening. We don't have the the context. We don't. At times, we're not even hearing what the actual conversation is, but body language. We always love to talk about body language. Oh, he didn't do this, or she didn't do this, or what? Did you see the way she acted here, or the way he reacted here? All that kind of stuff. And and the, you know that's why the, uh, the the handshake moment that everybody always told. Oh, he didn't shake his hand. Oh, he gave his hand and he didn't shake it, or he he, he conveniently avoided the hand and all that kind of stuff. Look, these are these are huge. Even even a guy like Carlos Vela, who on the surface is an incredibly humble player and personality, the reason why Carlos Vela is who he is is because of an ego. And that's a good thing. He wants to do well. He has incredible confidence in himself. And it, it, is, it is on it is on display. And they are competitive. They want to win. All of these players want to win. And the reaction, and that's why you need a coach that's not going to take it personally. And sometimes that's hard because hard you're being shown up in public and you have to make that split-second decision as a coach to, do I use this moment in front of everybody to make an example and to send a message? Or do I live to fight another day, let them get it out of their system? Because I know... It's not necessarily. Now there are certainly times where where players are they 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 can't stand the coach and it comes out visibly in a public uh, public forum. I don't think this was one of them. I think you're absolutely right in terms of the way Bob Bradley acted, but a, a part of me says. Why was there this disconnect between the way that he felt about his injury and the way the medical staff felt about their injury? And it's their job to think about the bigger picture. It's their job to think about, you can continue on and maybe we end up beating the Galaxy. And maybe you finish that game, but you aggravate that injury to the extent that you're not available for us next. And God forbid, if and when they meet the Galaxy in the playoffs, you've done something that's going to hurt your chances and therefore hurt the team's chances.
1: Let me ask you this. It was such a great game that nobody wanted to spoil it by talking about a fish- In VAR, but boy, that first LAFC goal, it looked to me like Betisher was off sides when he got the ball. And then I also had some real doubts on the second Zlatan goal. And, you know, in this age where we're being so nitpicky, it seemed like everybody just glossed over those two plays and they didn't really check them that carefully because play restarted very quickly. Uh, did you see some angle that I didn't that told you that those goals were okay? So, did I miss something so here's
0: the deal. I was, I was in the box, actually, uh, with John Strong and Stuart Holden who were calling the game. And so I was listening to the back and forth that's going on with the truck and everything like that. And keep in mind that if and when the game restarts, everybody says, oh, well, they checked it and it must have been fine. Everything should be fine. That's not necessarily true, okay? What, what they're saying is we don't have a definitive angle that's going to show us that there was a clear and obvious obvious error. And the, and the, and the goal you're talking about for people that either saw it and don't remember it or didn't see, it, didn't see it at all, it was a ball over the top, two uh, that ultimately ended up with Zlatan going in in a breakaway. And when that ball was kicked, was he on or was he, oh, was he off? We didn't have a definitive camera angle. And obviously, VAR didn't have any additional angles that they were looking at to, to make that call to say he was definitively off. But I, I, am, I am right there with you. I think there, there was some, some controversy in whether he was off. Now, the, the, the interesting thing in that play was, from, and I talked to Howard Webb about this, is that uh, Walker Zimmerman, the center back for LAFC, in that through ball that went over the top, Okay, he jumps up and attempts to play the ball. It wasn't a deflection or anything like that. He attempts to play the ball, and it skims off of his head and goes to Zlatan. At which case, it wouldn't matter whether he was off or not, because the player actually attempted to play the ball, and from a, a law perspective, that's what would uh, that's what would facilitate it being on. But I don't think that they had a, a uh, angle that enabled them to do anything. But you're right. In this day in this day and age, we're waiting for that moment, and we just associate the whistleblowing, All right, it must be it must be okay.
1: And we'll end on this. Uh, which do you think is the greatest MLS team of the whole time? And if this LAFC team keeps going in the path they're on and does win MLS Cup, would they uh, assume that mantle?
0: Well, look, you know, you talk about the Landon Donovan Keane type of Galaxy teams that we have. And even in recent years, whether it's Atlanta from last year or Toronto from a few years uh, before that, you know, I, I mentioned that there's only seven of the 23 seasons where an MLS team has both won the Supporter Shield and then won the MLS Cup. And MLS playoffs now are shortened again this year. And there's, there's one game. So anything can happen in one game. And is it fair? It's fair in that everybody knows going in what the situation is. And I was talking to Stu Holt last night, and we were joking. We said, hey, who won Supporter Shield four years ago? You know, nobody remembers who won Supporters' Shield. I can tell you from a player perspective, there is a pride. And from a business perspective, the team that wins Supporters' Shield, they are giving the most value to the people that buy their tickets. Each and every game they come, because of the amount of points that they have amassed, they are giving the value to the people that come, uh, that, that buy their tickets. And there is something to be said for that. But if you hang your head only on Supporters' Shield, nobody's going to care. Because the confetti... And the attention and the legacy and the history uh, and the accolades are going to go to the team in Major League Soccer that has that moment when they are raising MLS Cup. And if that team also raised Supporters' Shield, then they get into that echelon where you can call them great. But not until. And so don't tell me how great your season was. Don't tell me how great your team was if you can't parlay what you did in winning the Supporters' Shield into making a run and winning MLS Cup.
1: I agree with you. I think the supporter shield is MLS's attempt to have their cake and eat it too. There's a debate to be had about whether it should be a running table or a playoff system. Once you make the decision to go the playoff route, then success in the regular season is only relevant in so much as it sets you up for success in the playoffs, obtaining, you know, uh, first round buys and home field advantage and seating and stuff like that. The success in the regular season in and of itself, no NBA or NFL team with the finishes with the best record, loses in the playoffs, says, well we have something to take out of this season. The fact that we had the best record in the regular season, it becomes completely moot once you, you fail in the playoffs. So I'm with you on that. I think, you know, they have to win the MLS Cup to ultimately be in that conversation. I'll
0: leave you with this and I do agree with you. It is not just one of the great rivalries in American sports. I think it's one of the great rivalries now in soccer in the world. And I know that's sacrilege to to even put it in in, in the same conversation as many other ones out there. And I'm sure I'll get plenty of people telling me uh, how crazy I am. But there was a group of uh, British journalists uh, that were at the game last night visiting. And I'll be really interested to see how they saw the game and if, if there are any articles that they write or how it infects how they write about soccer in the United States soccer in North America obviously this uh, this rivalry because if there ever was a game to have visiting journalists <laughs> sit in on, that was it because it was it was wonderful and from start to finish. Like I said, right from the Guns N' Roses tifo all the way to Zlatan uh, and Latif Blessing and all the different players that we have mentioned and then even after once again Zlatan complaining about the referees and 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 all that, it it was it was a night that I will not soon forget. And here's to many, many more of those nights right now. And if you're up there in Cascadia and screaming and yelling, "Oh, you don't you don't you don't know what a real rivalry it is bring it bring it because you got to live up to this uh, el traffico right now and that is going to be hard for anybody in mls to uh, to do i love it i love it more more of this more of this not just in la but all over the country and all over north america all right mossy moving on Hey, it's Alexei here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from Major League Soccer, the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more. All on your favorite devices. And the best part, it's all ad-free and you can cancel at any time. So, check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a seven-day free trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy makes the case. It's time for Mossy Makes the Case. What are you casing for this week, Mossy? Well, staying with the
1: rivalry theme and a rivalry that uh, Christian Pavone and Scalotto were involved in uh, not too long ago. My case is that South American football is about to be in the spotlight and under scrutiny again. We are on the precipice of another Boca River confrontation in the Copa Libertadores, this time in the semifinals rather than the final, which, depending on your vantage point, is either better or worse. Ball this year has switched to a one-off neutral venue final. It will be November 23rd in Santiago. But by Boca and River meeting in the semis, it means we get two games home and away. Now, both teams still have to finish off their quarterfinal ties this week, which they will. Boca return home with a 3-0 lead over LDU Quito, so they are 100% through. River Plate go to Paraguay with a 2-0 lead over a vastly inferior Cerro Porteño side, so I would say they are 90% through. And if we do get this matchup, let's be honest, all the focus is going to be on the fans. Have they learned their lessons from last year? Have they learned their lessons from the embarrassment of having the biggest game in South American club football history have to be played in Europe? It will be very interesting to see if what happened last year affects the way the fans behave this year and also how these games are covered. But if you're somebody that cares about the credibility of South American football, God help us if we have another incident this year.
0: All right, Give us a little uh, refresher as to what did happen uh, last year for the people that either forgot or don't know.
1: Well, Boca and River met in the Copa Libertadores final for the very first time. The first leg at the Bombonera went off fine. It was 2-2. Great game. But uh, prior to the second leg at the Monumental, the River fans attacked the Boca bus. The match was not able to be played. And ultimately, because of security concerns, it had to be played at the Bernabéu in Madrid, (laughs) which was an unbelievable turn of events. Uh, So... Those two clubs meet in the... Listen, we've talked about this. The charm of South American football is in the history and the passion of the fans because from a football standpoint, it can't hold a candle to Europe. What made people excited about that book, A River of Matchup, was the pageantry surrounding it and all the stories leading up to it from the international media was about the passion of the fans that was going to be on display and then what ended up happening happened. So it's going to be interesting to see this year how journalists straddle that line because it's something that, you know, you can glorify up to a certain point, but then you end up having to condemn it and it's just weird to go into a bad where the big point of interest for a lot of people is whether there's gonna be
0: a fan incident right. or not. Right, and, and I remember talking about this, what was it, a, a year ago, and the problems for the individual teams, the problems for the league, and the problems for the country in the way that it's Inevitably, is going to re- be reported on, and once again, it transcended the actual soccer press, and people were were, were talking about the violence. And look, nothing brings out mainstream uh, type of press uh, from a soccer perspective more so than violence and the the unfortunate violence that we have in all these uh, different places. Now, a lot of this is is historical. A lot of this is rooted in tribalism and just a hatred for the the opposition uh, that spills out. Oftentimes, it spills out even outside of the stadium, as it as it did uh, as it did last time. But this is also this is also an opportunity. This is this is a not a do over, but an opportunity for both of these teams and obviously the fans of these teams to put it right and say that was not who we are. And you write about the balance and that fine line of. The, the passion and wanting to talk about and recognize and respect uh, the the passion and the long history that exists. But it's always just bubbling under the surface that there is this dangerous element and and yes, some of it is is even is even violent. And that part of that makes it, uh, let's be honest part of that makes it attractive makes it attractive to people who want to go and see it and part of it makes certainly makes it attractive to people that want to re- uh, report on it and there will be people that are waiting with bated breath to see how this goes especially <laughs> media members just waiting for something to happen and if and when that doesn't happen i hope the reporting is although you know we know if it bleeds it leads i hope the reporting is the passion remains but that violent element of it that put us all in a bad light a year ago is gone do you have faith that that is going to be the story
1: i'm i'm nervous yeah. uh, everybody i've talked to that that sort of has a pulse for the, the you know that those two fan bases feels like no there, there still could potentially be an incident particularly i know tim vickery is concerned by the leg at La Bombonera because he feels like the incident happened at River Stadium and so Boca fans are going to be out for revenge and they feel like they have to respond to what River fans did that day which is the completely wrong attitude of course but unfortunately (laughs) So if you're in charge You know,
0: we we talk talk day in and day out about how you should do this and you should do this and it's easy from the outside and sometimes we don't know what's going on inside and sometimes people have to make these difficult decisions that they know even before they make them are going to irritate a, a, a certain group or a certain faction of people. If you were in the situation and this was coming up, would you trust the people that are involved, whether it's the people in the stands or the people that are organizing it, to put this on? Or would you preempt it and say, look, I cannot take a chance that there is going to be violence and somebody gets hurt. And look, we have a history of it. And we know, and so I'm going to diffuse it right now and play it at a neutral venue, or you know, do or play it in, in, um, in the in the venue, but an empty venue.
1: I don't think you can preempt it. You have to give them a chance to learn from their mistakes, and they've now had a year to figure out the security uh, issues, and also just hope that, that that common sense prevails as far as the fans. I was discussing with our good friend Johnny Araya, who's sure. a, a works at Fox, who's a Big River played fan. If you're a Common Ball official, are you happy these two teams are meeting again, or are you nervous? And also, would you have preferred that it had happened in that one-off final in Santiago, a neutral venue, uh, or would you rather get two games of this at, at each team's home stadium, which is an incredible spectacle and and can be, as we said, a, a great advertisement for South American football if it goes off the right way?
0: I still think you're happy because it cuts through in, in a certain way. And look, we always talk about bad press is, is even okay and all that. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's not, <laughs> uh, but once again, I... I I think that there is an opportunity here. And like you said, I, I, I don't know if I was in that position because you don't want to do anything and have it be on your watch that something bad happened. You have to err on the side of safety, but you want to give people the opportunity to do the right thing. And I hope the right thing is done. I hope it's a great passionate type of uh, exhibition on the field without the stuff off the field. A
1: couple of on-field things. Uh, Boca have uh, recently signed Daniele de Rossi, which got a lot of people's attention. Uh, Pretty unusual for an aging European player to want to finish his career in South America. And Flamengo of Brazil tried to sign Balotelli and looked like we're going to get a deal done. It kind of fell through at the last minute. It'd be interesting to see if this starts a new trend of of aging European players, maybe looking to South America as an option, which is something MLS needs to concern themselves a little bit about, because they could pick off a couple of players that would have otherwise gone to MLS. Did you, at any point in your career, have a chance to play in South America? And is that something you would have been intrigued by?
0: I played at Ecuador. Um, I was on loan to Emelec.
1: Oh, I did not in, know that. In
0: Guayaquil, Ecuador. So I went down there. It was nuts. Uh, it's a whole other podcast that I could talk about <laughs> that. Uh, it was crazy. But... Daniela De Rossi, that move is precisely because of what we are talking about. From the outside, I mean, this this is an Italian legend, okay? He doesn't need to go anywhere. doesn't need to make more money or anything like that. But I think he saw from afar the things that we're talking about, probably the good and the bad, but that ultimate, that bubbling up and that eruption and that passion that exists for a storied club. And I think he... Romanticized it and wanted and, and credit to him because it, Italians don't. It's better now, but certainly for a long time Italians have not traveled and they haven't had to tra- travel and the, and they haven't necessarily traveled well. But tra- credit to him. And this is this isn't going to England. This isn't going to Spain or something. Like that. This is this is going to to Argentina and that's 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 interesting and that's an adventure. But I think it is completely based on. This image that he has of what this team is, what this culture is, what these rivalries are, and the passion and all of that exuberance and excitement and color that exists behind it.
1: Uh, Also, you know, the other side of the bracket is all Brazilian. So we already know it's going to be a Brazilian club in the final against most likely either Boca River. It'll be great. But this top heaviness that we keep talking about with European football, it's starting to creep into South America. There's some concern that the superiority of Argentinian and Brazilian clubs relative to everybody else is starting to reach an uncomfortable degree here. And that has to do with money and also some structural changes they made to the competition the last couple of years that have been to the benefit of Brazilian and Argentinian clubs. And even within Brazil, there's, there's some concern now because Flamengo and Palmeiras uh, have emerged as the richest clubs just based on sponsorship deals they've signed and, and there's been some some worry that there might be some separation there and we might be seeing uh, the start of it this year because those two teams are in the driver's seat to move on this week as well Flamengo are going to go to Porto Alegre with a 2-0 lead over Internacional and Palmeiras return home with a 1-0 lead over Grêmio so most likely those two teams will move on so they'll be the Brazilian clubs that advance the farthest in the Libertadores and they'll meet in the semis and I think they're also going to be the two teams that are going to battle for the league title this year Uh, Santos, who had been in first place, are fading. They had a Dortmund-like collapse this past weekend. They they blew a 3-0 lead at home to Fortaleza. They're managed by Sampoli, by the way. And Flamengo overtook them in the table, and Palmeiras are right there too. So it's just something to keep an eye on, just a larger discussion we keep having about the top heaviness uh, of of European football. And I know in South America, they sort of hang their hat on the fact that there's been more parity there, but there's now some movement (laughs) in the wrong direction as far as that goes. So this might just be something that's just going to be a larger discussion wherever you go in, in football as far as, like, Parity versus top heaviness.
0: Well, to tie it back to what's going on over here, uh, we know the conduit. We know the um, connection uh, and the continued relationship between Argentinian players and Major League Soccer, and it was just a little while ago when we were seeing Atlanta's Pitti Martinez star in a uh, Copa Libertadores. So who knows if and when we're seeing this uh, this matchup here? There might be players that then the following season you will see running around in Major League Soccer because they are looking at Major League Soccer as a place where they can get what they want on the field from a competitive standpoint and as a, as a uh, as a, potf- uh, a platform to show their wares to then maybe go on to Europe. They're getting paid. Uh, Uh, the culture and the lifestyle is something that they want. So it's not going to stop. They're going to keep going. So we we will keep an eye on that, both from what's happening on the field and, uh, unfortunately, what could possibly happen off the field and hopefully doesn't. Anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi and send us your comments and questions and concerns. And we pick some out, and Mossy reads them as he is about to do right now. What are the people asking out there, Mossy?
1: First up, at JJB199, Barcelona thinking about giving up Dembele for Neymar. Thoughts?
0: Wow. Okay, so the (laughs) saga of Neymar. I mean, your countryman, what is going on with this dude? All right, he he just can't find a comfortable place. I mean, undeniably, one of the great players in the world would help Almost every team in the world, I'm not sure every team wants him now for for what he has become, but it is obvious that he does not want to continue to be at PSG. That ship... Uh, has sailed or has it because at this point right now, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are three possibilities uh, as the window starts to close and is almost closed. He can either continue on with PSG, which he has made very, very clear is not something that he wants. And I think PSG has accepted that that's not something that he that he wants. He did not play over the weekend until this is all sorted out. He can go back to Barcelona, the, the site of his greatest success, or He can go to to Real Madrid, which would be something to see as far as I'm concerned. Am I getting any of that wrong? Is that where we're at right now?
1: Now, So there's about a week left in the transfer window. Listen, by the time you listen to this podcast, there could be some new (laughs) twist, but we're taping this on a Monday. So here's how we're at. First, let me review how we got here. I told you this when we taped our very first podcast in Paris this summer, ironically enough. Yep. There's a divide in the Barcelona camp. Messi, Suarez, pk the heavy hitters in that dressing room, they did not want Antoine Griezmann. They wanted Neymar. Barcelona's directors did not want Neymar. They wanted Antoine Griezmann. And so what Barcelona's directors decided were was... Let's get our guy first, Griezmann, and then we'll try to get Neymar. And if we can get him on our terms, fine. Otherwise, we'll just throw our hands up in the air and say PSG didn't want to sell him. And the mere fact that we tried to get him should appease Messi. Two things have happened to complicate that strategy. Messi has not been sufficiently appeased by their efforts so far. And also, Real Madrid, as you mentioned, have gotten in the mix. So now it's not just a question of him going to Barcelona or staying at PSG. There's a specter of him going to Real Madrid. So Barcelona have had to scramble now and think, oh, wow, we actually have to get this guy. So... Real Madrid, by the way, I think it's like 50-50. Like 50% they actually want him and 50% they're just enjoying irritating (laughs) Barcelona.
0: So, But wait, but between those two, don't you think that Real Madrid needs... Bar, uh, Neymar more than yeah. Barcelona needs
1: Neymar? I don't think he he makes that much sense for either club, but it's like slightly more defensible for Real Madrid. I have some issues there with him and Hazard. I think they occupy a lot of the yeah, same spots on the field, like to play from the left to the middle. Uh, but just in terms of the larger sense of they're coming off a terrible season, uh, that squad feels very stale right now. For all the money they've spent, it feels like it's Hazard who's injured right now. And then a lot of the same players from last year, you've got guys like Gareth Bale and James Rodriguez starting the game. So there is a case to be made that they could use that injection of quality more so than Barcelona for reasons that I think we're going to discuss in the back three because I do want to talk about Griezmann there. But here's what I think uh, could unlock this in the next week. PSG, they want either a big sum of money close to what they spent, 220 million euros, or if it's going to be some sort of deal involving players, they don't want to take your quote-unquote, rejects back. They're not stupid. They've seen the players at Barcelona and Real Madrid have been trying to unload all summer. So any package built around like a Coutinho when he was still there or like a Gareth Bale isn't going to work. They want a young, blue-chip talent back. Somebody that's going to make Barcelona and Real Madrid say, oh, man, it sucks that we had to get rid of that guy. And so the two players that could unlock this are Vinicius Jr. for Real Madrid, who, by the way, I don't think Zidane would mind getting rid of that much. I don't think he rates him at all, but the club really likes him, so they don't want to get rid of him. And then the other guy would be Ousmane Dembele, who's appealing to PSG because he's young, he's French, he's exciting. If you pair him with Mbappe, all of a sudden you have the two great young French talents. And by the way, I think Barcelona are so fed up with his injuries and his lack of discipline. And also, there's a sense that if you're going to get Neymar, you might as well include Dembele in the deal because where would he play then? There's no point in having Neymar and Dembele on the team. So I think there's a match there. The issue there is Dembele doesn't want to go. He's been approached by PSG and he said, no way, I want to stay at Barcelona. So I think convincing Dembele to leave and he's injured right now. Now, which complicates matters, but um, that could be the key to Barcelona getting him. While Vinicius Jr. would be the key to Real Madrid getting him. Otherwise, I think he's going to end up staying at PSG another year. Which, by the way, is the outcome I want. You want him to stay yeah. at PSG? No, I do. no, I am all in on him coming back to Spain. I don't care where he goes. It's so <laughs> funny too. Like I've heard some Neymar haters say, like, "Oh, I hope he gets stuck in PSG another year because that would just be miserable for him." And I'm thinking, yeah, there's no scenario here where Neymar no. has a bad life. No, like, no, the worst nobody. Case is him if, living if in anybody Paris? Is under the impression we are crying for <laughs> Neymar here? The, Let the, me put that to quote rest. Quote, no. The quote unquote worst case scenario is him living in Paris making $50 million a year. <laughs> but uh we'll see how it plays out Uh, like i said we'll talk about the Griezmann part of this and how it plays into this whole thing because he had a great game this week and we'll talk about that in the back three but
0: all right so anyway uh uh, jj1999 (laughs) or 199 my thoughts are please make this happen have him go back (laughs) and i don't care if it's real madrid or barcelona but i I just want to see how that plays out and it gives us so much more to talk about and i'd be I'll, i'll be fascinated to see it and you know, when we talk about league, it's it's only about PSG, and so this makes them they're they're already not really relevant uh, unless we're talking about Champions League. But without Neymar, they become that much less relevant, if you if you will. So Dembele going to PSG doesn't doesn't excite me. Doesn't doesn't make them any more relevant. All right, what else?
1: All right. Next up, at Adrian underscore Viveros. Why do you think MLS is avoiding Phoenix as one of the expansion teams after seeing the type of owners they have, the fans and the players? I figured they would have been the next, if not one of the next to be given an MLS team.
0: Okay. So just because you have a successful professional soccer team in your market doesn't necessarily mean that Major League Soccer is going to look at you as something that's enticing for now. I mean, who knows as we get further and further, because it seems like there's always another place. And we've seen this phenomenon happen with some place like Sacramento. And to be fair, getting that ownership group situated in there a whole lot better position right now. But we've talked about this before. This is a collective. This is a single entity and making the decisions for what's best for everybody and what's going to make my investment as an owner in the league better. And you get to choose. You get to choose the people that you hang out with. You get to choose who comes into this club and by the way pays you hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars to come into that uh, that club. What they are doing right now in Phoenix is wonderful, and we talk about you know this uh, one dollar beer night. That is fun. That is that is exciting. But in the same way that. And I'm, I'm, look, I'm, if you're Phoenix out there, I'm, I'm going to bring in Las Vegas lights or, or, or uh, you know, that that type of stuff that is that is interesting and that is fun. And it's fun to watch that type of uh, type of stuff. But that's not necessarily what Major League Soccer is or or wants to be. That's not to say that Phoenix can't uh, make a uh, make a pitch for being something more than they are right now and using this and saying this is what we are now. What if we have. Ownership that is, you know, stocked with with several billionaires, and this is what we want to do, and we believe in uh, in Phoenix. I don't know enough about the Phoenix ins and outs and the nitty gritty of Phoenix to make that uh, to make that decision. You know what type of market is uh, it, it, it is, and if I'm an owner in MLS, ultimately you have to answer: Does this make my investment better by adding that? And I'm not sure right now adding Phoenix does.
1: Next up, at Katire
0: 98 do we think? Whatever you say, Mossy, is right because you got the microphone. Uh,
1: this, by the way, is the the quote-unquote fun question that Alex Dad is now throwing in there every okay. week. Which <laughs> concert slash artist did you enjoy most this year?
0: Oh, let's see here. So um, I'll give you three The Struts are a great rock band, and I know rock bands are a dying breed. There's not a lot of rock bands out there. I just think that they they are flying the flag for just solid, good, pop, rock, great lead singer, great hooks, great songs, um, fun, wonderful live performers. So I, I think that they, much more so, than other bands out there I really, really enjoy. There was a, uh, early this year, the Grammys this year, if it, either this year, or, I can't remember when the Grammys were, but there was a performance by, I think it's Her, H-E-R, not a band that I, or a person, I don't even know if it's a person or a band or anything like that, but I I saw Her <laughs> perform on the Grammys, and I was mesmerized. I, I loved the, the performance and the song, um, so I really enjoyed that, even though, as I said, I was unfamiliar and know nothing about uh, the artist other than when I saw that. So I really enjoyed that. There's a, uh, a young man out of Orlando, Florida that I'm really into. He goes by the uh, name Nightwinds. You can check it out. So those are, those are three different things. But I have not gone to a lot of live music lately. It's irritating me, to be quite honest with you. I got some trips coming up here on the road here, and I'm trying to coordinate some live music as I get on the road. And I have all these apps that, that at least they purport to tell me what's going on in, in the cities in the cities that I'm in, but I'm jonesing for a, a good show. So if you have some suggestions out there as to who you've seen live or who you just like to listen to, uh, let me know, because I'm always in the mood for uh, a, a suggestion. And, you know, I, I love live music. I love music in general. So those are three things that over the last year have, have caught my eye
1: on the topic of music you know what I did watch recently uh, at the recommendation of our good pal Jason Wormser the Netflix doc on on Woodstock
0: oh ah, yes uh, did you watch that I did yes interesting it's yeah. not the actual movie the m- movie was a blockbuster that came out right, after right, right. this is an actual um I think it's a uh a PBS special that they did uh that's kind of a companion piece to the actual movie the actual Woodstock movie was much more about the actual performances. This was much more about the the, the behind-the-scenes stuff that was going on. It, it is a fascinating thing. It's Every time I see it, I am just completely amazed that nobody got hurt or, or more hurt. There were certainly some injuries. But it could have gone so horribly wrong, and it didn't. Someone was smiling down on that festival.
1: I mean, the, the, exactly. The thing that really struck me watching that is days out from it, how close that was to being fire Festival. Yeah. Uh, because they had didn't have anything built they had to switch the location at the last minute that originally was going to be a concert where they were gonna sell tickets and try to make money and then they just didn't build the gates in time so random people were showing up and at one point they just had to throw their hands in the air and say I guess it's a free concert a yeah, <laughs> free
0: concert they run out of food I mean it's just it, it they did everything looking back on it they did everything wrong and that it turned out so right as opposed to the fire festival where they did everything wrong and it turned out so wrong well the so. thing they had going for them was like was jaw rule was not in in That's that. true. It's like, <laughs> words to live by. If you're organizing something, do not have Ja Rule as part of it. All right. So uh, use that hashtag AskAlexei uh, and send us your questions out there on the social media engines and all those different platforms. And we will use uh, the best of them that come through that Mossy decides are worthy and worthwhile of using on the show. All right, moving on. The Back Three. All right. It's time for our Back Three. Some of the biggest stories and games and moments from the world of soccer. mostly what do we got in our back three this week?
1: First up, as I mentioned, the transfer window is almost closed, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite signings of the summer has just happened. What happened? Irving Lozano to Napoli, which I think is a great move for him. Napoli already.
0: took Lozano! <laughs> All right.
1: Napoli, already an exciting attacking team. Case in point, they were involved in a crazy game this past weekend against Fiorentina. They won 4-3. And now you're going to throw Lozano into that mix with Meritens and Sine and company. I think he's going to do great under Encelotti. Uh, and here's the direction I want to go on this. Uh, we do have a U.S.-Mexico coming up September 6th on FS1 in New York. I-, I presume you'll be covering that. Yep. Do you think that Pulisic and Lozano are now clearly the face of this rivalry and will be in the ensuing years?
0: I think so, yes. I'm a little... With regards to this, compare and contrast between the two that we're doing here. I'm a little jealous of of Chucky, and I know obviously I have a history when it comes to uh, to Italian soccer. But for what Christian Pulisic is as a player, I, I like I get why he went to England, and I get why he went to Chelsea. But I would have loved to have seen what he would have done in the Italian style, um, and I think it. I think it actually. Would it's so much more the way that he plays than, than what happens in England. Yeah, but that's, that's neither here nor there. I mean, he, he made his decision. But I definitely think when it comes to these national teams, as figures and faces that both of these teams are going to build around and that both of these fan bases are going to embrace and expect— I think both of these players uh, are the ones that people are going to look at because of now the money, because this was the highest, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the highest ever transfer fee for a Mexican player, uh, and just the undeniable talent that they both have. Now it's going to be up to, can they live up to these expectations, both in their club settings and then when they come to the national team?
1: Yeah, and I love these rivalries within a rivalry. I know with, like, Brazil and Argentina, it's happened many times. Like, in the early 80s, Zico versus Maradona was a thing. In the mid-2000s, Ronaldinho versus Raquel May. Even in other sports, I know Yankee Red Sox fans are arguing a lot right now about, like, Gleyber Torres versus Rafael Devers. Do you think Pulisic versus Lozano is going to be, like, a big debate for the next few years? And which one do you think is better now, and which one do you think has the higher upside? I, th-
0: I Well, I think, so, if you have... Mexican national team fans when they're cheering against the US, they will obviously recognize and understand that Christian Pulisic is this high profile player and if and when Chucky through the me- Mexican national team does well, they are going to absolutely hold that over our head as US uh, men's national team fans uh, or fans of uh, Christian Pulisic and that's 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 awesome. That's great. I hope this I hope this drives uh, the, the 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 already hot rivalry the, that we have, and you absolutely should expect things from both of these players each and every time, each and every time they meet. Now we don't know who's going to be on those uh, on those rosters for the upcoming games against for the U.S. against Mexico and against Uruguay, but this is all about higher and higher expectations because of the money involved with these players and the value, and as I said, just the incredible talent. And both teams, I think, are building around these players.
1: And uh, to repeat my question, uh, who's better now and who has the highest Did you ask ceiling? a question? <laughs> what was it?
0: Who's it, better now? You're, um, you're usually
1: not one to sidestep No, no. Uh,
0: Christian Pulisic is better right now.
1: And I presume then has the higher ceiling because he's the younger of the two. Uh, Lozano mm. just turned 24, Pulisic oh, turns 21 next month.
0: Not necessarily, not necessarily. You know, I mean, I, I'm not going to be an ageist like you. Uh, <laughs> I I understand that Chucky Lozano could be on an accelerated rate over the next couple of years as opposed to Christian Pulisic, who over the next 10 years could only— get better by, uh, you know, a fraction or something like that. But, you know, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't care how old somebody is, Mossy, all right? I mean, unlike you, I look at the person, okay? And I look at the talent and the ability of the person and that number that's associated in terms of how many years they've been on the earth. It doesn't matter to me. But you go ahead and live your life in, in that way, judging people by the age that they are.
1: Uh, we'll edit that out, Alex. That <laughs> incoherent rant. Uh, uh, Serie A, by the way, is often running. Hard to pick against Juventus, winning a ninth in a row. I know there's some thought that Maurizio Sadi is a big wild card they might not take to a system, but that squad is so loaded and Fernaldo stays healthy. I mean, you have to pick them to win it. The two teams that would be potential challengers would be Napoli. And Inter, who brought in Antonio Conte as the coach, and guys like Lukaku up front, Diego Godin at the back, Sensi and Barella in the midfield. So I'm sure we'll talk about Syria plenty in the, in the coming months. Should be a fun season. Let's uh, transition to England. Okay. Uh, Manchester United, I want to go there first. Okay. They fell 2-1 at
0: home to <laughs> How Ben... How they doing, Mossy? How, how's Manchester United doing? <laughs> they fell at home to Ben Grossman's Crystal Palace. <laughs> hold on, hold on. You're telling me that Manchester United, the legendary Manchester United was playing at home. What's the name of their stadium again? What's the bl- bl- Old Trafford, the Theater Old of Dreams. Tra- the Theater of Dreams over there, Mossy. They were playing at home, and a team called... What's it called? Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace came in to their home and took not just a point, but took all three points. That's what you're saying? Correct. Wow. How the mighty have fallen. Now, all you right.
1: did have in this game a, a De a howler, and then Marcus Rashford missed the penalties. So a penalty. So, as my... Dad pointed out after the game, that exact same match, if you just flip those two plays around, De Gea doesn't make that mistake, and Rashford converts the penalty. United win 2-1, and we're having a totally different conversation. So it is amazing as a manager how you're at the mercy of results sometimes when when really, you know, it's, it, it's just like a, a bounce here and there. But uh, th- this whole penalty kick thing with United has become, frankly, farcical. So, you know, uh, the opening game of the season when they thrashed Chelsea, Rashford converted expertly from the spot. Then they win a penalty against Wolves, and Pogba insisted he should take it. He misses. So for a few days, the outcry is, why did Pogba take it? Of course, Marcus Rashford take it. And then Rashford steps up and misses. My question is, Sochar has said that, like, well, they're both – designated takers, and when they're both on the field, they should figure out amongst themselves who takes it this time. And uh, Does that make sense to you, or should there always be a guy on the field that everybody knows the minute that the whistle is blown,
0: okay, that guy is obviously going to take it? I think uh, all the teams that I ever played, it was well-known who was going to take the penalties. Either it was written down or it was told to them, this is who's taking it. And unless in that moment that person didn't feel it, that that's who's going to take it. In particular, for Solskjaer right now, He has to recognize, and I think he has recognized, and if he hasn't, I'm telling him right now, he is leading a bunch of children. And so, yes, you have got to tell them exactly what to do and be very, very definitive in in who's going to take it. And there's an understanding as to who's going to take it. I maintain this because we know that that penalties, for the most part, are a, a, a mental exercise. And yes, you have to have technique and all that kind of stuff. But the pressure often gets to players in that, in that moment. We know that still, even having said that, what is it, 80% of the times that somebody steps up to the penalty mark, they convert. I always said that if I was ever a coach, I would not only designate who takes, play, to, who takes the penalties, but I would tell that player where they are going to kick. Okay, whether it's in a, a, a shootout or whether just a one-off type of thing, take it away from them. Take the pressure and the thought process that goes in uh, away from them, and say this: is, this is who's taking it, and you are going to kick on this side or this side or this side. Now, they only have me to blame. Okay, so it takes the pressure off off of the player. I don't know if anybody has ever ever done that, but I always I always think now. I, I think about things in practice. It might be completely uh, different because I do believe that soccer, more than any game in the world, as we know, you are left to your own devices, and that's a good thing. But when it comes to when it comes to penalties, which can be so important, as your dad rightly points out. But by the way, to, to, I, I love your dad. But yes. That is exactly what separates between winning and losing and that is exactly exactly what separates being successful and not being successful it's easy when one team sucks and one team is good okay yeah they're good and they win and they're bad and they lose but when two teams are good those little moments that's what separates it that's that's sports to a certain extent uh extent that is life what did you want to have happen in that moment when it comes to the penalties
1: no, I agree with you. I mean, you know better than me. I've never been in a dressing room. Don't
0: do room. that. Don't say that. I
1: hate when you I hate when people say no, that. No, no, but but this this is an issue that speaks to like whether you played the game or not because I have no idea how that works. I would imagine it it should be the manager's choice and it should be clear everybody should know going into a game if with the players we have on the field right now now it could get screwy with substitutions late in the game but with the players we have right now if we earn a penalty this guy is taking it end of discussion and it doesn't seem to be that way because there's constantly this confusion on the field and I'm seeing and as you mentioned it's such a mental thing that the last thing you want a penalty kick taker to do is to have to argue for five minutes with a teammate about who's going to take it then you're not in kind of the right mental state to
0: take a penalty so if in that moment you're feeling it I, I, I gotta take this. I like that that you have that initiative. I like that you are, you are tapped into something that's inside you. You just better make it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're a coach, really that's what it comes down to. Okay, you want to deviate from what we have planned? Fine, I, I like that leadership, I like that courage, but you better put the ball in that. Because if you do that, then you have gone against what I put in place and there there is a problem as opposed to if you take it, I told you to take it and you miss it. OK, fine. We're, we'll be sad and it's, a, and, and, and it's not a great thing, but it's not because you went against what I told you to do. So I don't know. Now, I, I, don't know. I do
1: want to make a larger point about the Premier League that I've been thinking about a lot in the last 24 hours. Listen, the Premier League has the belt right now. They're coming off the most dominant season that any domestic league has ever had in Europe. We had an All-English Champions League, All English Champions League final, All-English Europa League final. So it is the best league right now. I'm not disputing that. But it is interesting, if you go through each league and make a list of how many legitimate title contenders there are, which, by the way, is not the only measure of the competitiveness of a league, but it is one of them. Sure. If you make that list... I would argue right now the Bundesliga and La Liga, two leagues that have been endlessly mocked for being uncompetitive, each have three, Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig, yep. Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico, while the Premier League only has two in Liverpool and Manchester City. And, you know, about a decade ago, there were a couple of seasons in Spain where Barcelona and Real Madrid finished like 30 points above everybody else. The third place team was closer to getting relegated than winning the title. And again, La Liga was endlessly mocked for that. And, and you know, last season, Liverpool, which finished second, were 25 points points ahead of third place Chelsea and I would argue the early evidence this season is that the gap between Liverpool and City and everybody else has widened and there's two games that really illustrated that I know Spurs somehow came away with a point at the Etihad but anybody that watched that game was like aghast at the golf and quality they outshot them 30 to 3 on balance of play. City should have won that game like 4-0 that was a fluke and then this past weekend Liverpool played Arsenal and Liverpool toyed with them you would have thought they were playing with them against a mid-table team and so it really made me think you know we talk about the big six and we kind of lumped them all together but it really is a big two and the other four right now and it is amazing how big the gap is getting between those two dare I say it's almost becoming Barcelona around Madrid ish from like 10 years ago in La Liga
0: Mossy, I have a solution to this (laughs) playoffs they need playoffs over there in Europe I think we uh, we put that in and all this goes away a second bite at the apple for all these teams
1: You would agree. (laughs) I guess Tottenham are the quote-unquote third team in England. You would agree. Leipzig winning the Bundesliga and Atletico winning La Liga feels definitely more plausible right now than Tottenham winning the Premier League,
0: right? Yes. Leipzig is is cruising right now. Uh, Okay, what else?
1: And we'll end on La Liga. Again, I mentioned during the Ask Alexi discussion that part of that whole Neymar thing involves Griezmann, and I do want to go there because Barcelona, uh, they had a great win, 5-2 at home against Betis. Messi and Suarez didn't play, uh, both injured. Uh, Griezmann played. He had a great game, two goals, one assist. So he already has, like, the Camp Nou fans in his pocket. He bounced back from a bad game against Bilbao last week. And the only thing I would say about that is uh, we know Antoine Griezmann is a great player, and it's not insignificant... Uh, because, you know, if, if they want to rest Messi more as he gets older, it is nice to know you have a player that can do Messi-type things on the field. And so, you know, th- there is a benefit to that. But if you're an attacking player at Barcelona, ultimately your fate is going to rest on your ability to coexist with Messi. And there's still a lot of questions about that. We're not going to find that out until Messi gets back. He's missed the first two games with injuries. Um, how do you see Messi and Griezmann coexisting, and Messi, Suarez, and Griezmann? Do you think that's like a natural front three, or not really, they could get in each other's way? I think it's a natural front
0: three. So you think but it can work? Yes, I definitely think that it could work I don't look it's it's Messi's not going to adjust that, that Messi is going to do what he's going to do and it's not his I mean he can adjust he's just incredibly smart one of the smartest players ever to play the game I think it's up to Griezmann to adjust to the situation when that happens but I think this is I think this is good for him I think this is a good moment for him to show how important he is and can be going forward as opposed to him coming in right off the bat with, uh, with Messi. Him kind of having this moment that's, that's his, that's a good thing. That's a good thing to, to make him feel uh, a part of it and give him that co- confidence because I don't, yes, you're going to demure to Messi and who, who hasn't? Everybody in the world has, but I don't want him to be completely subservient to Messi. I want him still to feel like I can do what I want to do. And if that's curtailed, that's a problem. That's a problem for him. And it's a problem for Barcelona.
1: And, and that ties into Neymar because I do feel like Neymar's four years at Barcelona have become criminally underrated. There's now a decade and a half of empirical evidence that if you're a creative player, it's not that easy to play alongside Messi. Guys like Coutinho, Dybala, even Zlatan to mm-hmm. some extent have struggled with that. And there's one guy that really figured it out. They mesh beautifully together. Neymar struck that perfect balance of deferring to Messi but being assertive. And Messi recognizes that. So I know he's desperate to win another Champions League title. Coming off that incredible defeat to Liverpool, I think... He decided then and there, look, let's stop screwing around. Anybody else you bring in, like a Griezmann, no matter how great a player he is, is still an unknown. I'm not sure how we're going to play together. There's one guy that knows how to do this. We've done it already. We won a Champions League title together. He wants to come back. Go get him. And so... But right now, we're just days away from the transfer when it looks like it's going to be Griezmann and not Neymar there, potentially. And so there is going to be this question. I mean, that, that squad is loaded. They're very talented. But Messi didn't get the guy he wanted that he knows how to play with. So now there is this sort of question hovering over the Barcelona season of how he's going to fit in with Griezmann. I, I agree with you. If they get it right, then that that front three sure. could be just insane.
0: But he's got he's to take a page out of Neymar's, Neymar's book. I mean, Messi... In those moments, you're absolutely right. When Neymar was on the field with Messi, Messi's going to want the ball because, because he's Messi, but he's not going to want it at dumb moments. And there must be, a, in, a, in a strange way, this sense of relief when, in that moment, Neymar got the ball out wide. And while others would have pulled it back and given it to him and, and said, here you go, do that. To see Neymar say, no, screw you. I'm going to take on not just one player, but two players. And... I get the feeling that Messi, there was almost a sense of relief when that happened. And in that sense, it made Messi better because it made him more efficient when, when, he, when, when he got it. But I don't, I don't know yet if Griezmann is. I think that that can happen with Griezmann, but I don't know. But you're absolutely right. I, I'm sure that's why Messi said, I, I want the one that I know. I got There's certainly there's problems and something uh, at, at times. I, he can be frustrating. But I know that Neymar is going to do that, like what you're we talking about. All right, that's it for the uh, back three. Nothing else? Uh, no, that is, that's the end of the show. All right, it's come to the end of the show here. <laughs> it's time for our one big thing at the end of the show. And for this week, it goes back to something you said, and it occurred to me in the middle of the show. When you, when you speaking of deferring, Mossy, you deferred to me because I have kicked the ball at a, at, at a certain level. Uh, as anybody that's ever hung, hung out with me knows, while I do place value. And I do recognize the fact that those of us that have had the privilege and the honor uh, and the opportunity to kick the ball at the high at a high level have been through an experience and been given that opportunity to go through experience that is, that is unique. And there is value to that. But if people were, uh, listen back to this podcast, there came a point where I said, don't do that. I find myself saying, don't do that a lot to people, because I think that I can find value in the way that you, Mossy, talk about the game and the way that somebody who's just coming to the game talks about the game. And that's kind of what we're doing doing here. Yes, we want to have expertise, but there's a reason why it's a beautiful game. One of the reasons why it's because it's very, very simple. You've seen and thought about the game, I guarantee, more than... Players that have played in World Cups, won World Cups, been at the hi- at the highest level before. I would take your reaction, your opinion, your take over almost all of them because of the way that you think about the game. And I'm just using you as an example. But I I always bristle when people say, "Yeah, but you've played the game, and they're, and therefore that." As I've, as I said before, I have hung out with people that have played at the highest level that are asinine when it comes to talking about the game. And I have hung out with people that have never even kicked the ball that are incredibly interesting and fascinating and on point, if you will, when they talk about the game. And so you're out there jogging, you're out there in your car you're out there doing whatever you do when you listen to this podcast, and thank you very much for listening to this podcast. And while you're listening to me, uh, or you're listening to Mossy, uh, we do want to hear what you have to say. And whether it's the Ask Alexi or just when we're walking around, I get, just last night, someone came up to me and said, hey, I love listening to the podcast, and I'm so thankful that people uh, listen to the podcast and talk about it. And you'd be surprised at how many people come up and say, I listen to the podcast, but I disagree with what you said here or there, and you are I, I i love that because first off, it's being done in a respectful way, and then we have a conversation, and I learn so much from talking to people, talking to people that have all sorts of different levels of uh, experience when it comes uh, when it comes to the game, and I want to continue to do that. And I think too often we kowtow and we defer and we give people that have played the game much more relevance and importance uh, than they than they deserve. So it, it just occurred to me while we were talking about all, all of these different things that your opinion or anybody else's opinion is as valid as mine or anybody else uh, that played the game. And I want to hear them. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with it. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to have a spirited debate and maybe even argument as to what you're, you're saying. And just as you hold me accountable, I will hold you accountable when you, talk about, uh, when you talk about these things. But never, ever have I turned to someone and said, yeah, you just don't understand because you didn't play the game. That drives me crazy. You understand the game. You see the game. You feel the game. You smell the game. You live the game, regardless if you played at the highest level or if you just started kicking the ball. And I know that's not the attitude that a lot of people have, but I think that that helps me understand the game more. Does that make any sense, Mossy? No, absolutely. It does make sense. It does make sense. Yeah. Oh well, good. I don't know. I don't know if I if I stated it as clearly and as coherently as I wanted to. But if you are listening, and if you've made it to the end of the podcast, I'm actually giving you a compliment. Not everybody, because there's probably some people that listen to it that have done incredible things when it comes to when it comes to soccer but ultimately what i'm saying is that i appreciate and respect all of these different opinions and all of these different uh, people out there that talk about this game that we know and love and i want to encourage that and i never ever want to give anybody the idea that because they didn't do something or they didn't play here or they didn't get to this level or something like that that what they are saying has any less validity or weight or value when it comes to how I am intaking it. So with that, we will go on. Speaking of intaking, let us know what you feel. Use that hashtag #AskAlexi. Hit us up uh, on all the uh, different platforms out there. Anything before we go, Mossy? Nope. All right, we will see you again and hear from you. Uh, well, you'll hear from us. We won't hear from you necessarily from an audio standpoint. But once again, use those uh, that hashtag #AskAlexi, and we will hear from you in that sense next week. Size of the day.